American Toffee Podcast, your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club, hosted by Alex Johnson and James Boyman. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. My name is Alex, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, James. Hello! And also, if you haven't heard the news, our not-so-special-anymore... Third co-host, Ryan Williams. Ryan. I'm hello. Not spe- I'm not special anymore? Not no. anymore. <sighs> Man. You're I just a normal it. guy now. It's okay, though. One of us. One, One of, of us. us. One of us. <laughs> All right, I'm over it. Let's go. The American cult podcast. No, I was kidding. The trio. <laughs> Power trio. Power trio. So, gentlemen, we are coming live after a 5-2 win against Fleetwood Town in the Carabao Cup. Um, Ryan, you first, since you're not very special. What was your instant reaction? Savage. Yeah, I know. Uh, well, it, really, the team looked pretty sound um, other than one particular member. 5-2 um, was, I mean, it could have been at least five. Um, yeah, the team played with fluidity. They were on the front foot. Uh, a couple lost players in there, but man, it was really good to see a couple guys that hadn't played in a while come in and put in a shift. Um, satisfying performance. Uh, it just made you a little bit nervous there in the middle, thanks to one guy basically you can say his name ryan you can you can name drop. well there is one guy we won't say his name on the podcast but yeah pick i i don't i don't know what pickford was was doing he had almost nothing to do today and what he did have to do he he did not do it well let's just put it that way but yeah it was good to see some of the guys come in and and do well agreed it was great to see an everton side that i mean we've seen it now for three straight games this team seems to be able to score quite a few goals and i for one am here for it ladies and gentlemen i love it when i see us score 10 goals in two games i don't think i've ever seen everton do that in my time watching so that is my big high level takeaway but i think overall you know bar maybe 20 minutes in the first part of the second half it was an entirely commanding performance. We made several lineup changes. And of course, we saw a lot of these guys last week in the last round of the cup. And they kind of picked up where they left off. It was convincing the guys who we can, we, you can see now that there is a lot of push for these guys who are now theoretically second string to perform and try to force their way into the first team picture. And I think that's really encouraging to see, see the depth that we have and, and our second string, so to speak, is able to look as good as they did today. And again, the opposition, you have to bear that in mind, but five goals is five goals. And, you know, it's hard not to be totally pleased bar a couple slip ups, I'd say, but overall a really commanding performance from the blues today. Yeah, that's a good point. Some of them took their chances, some maybe not so much. But here's a fun fact from Gavin Buckland, the official Everton statistician. The last time Everton opened up winning their first four domestic matches of the season was 1978-79. So it has been legitimately 40 plus years since we've won four out of four to open the season. So if that's not exciting with Carlo Ancelotti at the helm, James Rodriguez at the club, I'm not sure what will be exciting. So let's dive into the match a little bit deeper. Let's talk about the lineup. So we had six changes, not 10 this time for the cup, like we thought we might see. So we saw Wobie, Gilfie, Delph, 
Bernard and Kunku, and lastly, John Joe Kenny come in. But I want to especially mention that Dean came in at center back and Mer- Yerry Mina was left off. Um, so, Ryan, what was your initial lineup reaction? I think I was surprised like everybody else was. There was no no Gordon or Keene. Um, I was not surprised about Delph and Iwobi. Um, I know a lot of people don't like Fabian Delph, but ultimately, besides Alan DeCore, we have to have someone that's capable of putting in a shift defensively that can be positionally sound, and he can be an adequate backup to those two guys. Um, yes, I would love to see JP Bameen be healthy, and but he's still a ways away. So I thought that was important to get him fit, and Alex Iwobi gives us a different wrinkle to an attack. So um, and I really want to see what he's going to be like when we have a better midfield backline seemed logical. I mean, yes, there was some thought that Yerry might come in, but I, I think he was questionable for fitness in the very first match of the year. So I got it. But yeah, the middle, the midfield was strange though. You, you figured Sigurdsson would play a little deeper with Delph, but who would play in front of him? Who would play right? It almost seemed like, wow, maybe Carlo's going to finally go to that four-two-two-two, the four-four-two that he kind of played with Real and and uh, Napoli. Little surprise that Richarlison and and Dom both started, um, but yeah, I mean, the one thing that I found curious too is I, I, all I kept thinking was Bernard's really a left-sided player. A lot of people think he's some attacking center mid. He's not. He's played almost none there, uh, in very little even in Brazil, but much less since he came over. You know, since like 2013. So yeah, that's what I was most curious about. And I guess Pickford starting goal and Lossel on the bench kind of gives you an idea with the signing of Jao Virginia. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Um, maybe, maybe that means he's on his way on loan. Um, I don't know, James, what your thoughts were. That's kind of what what went through my mind when I saw it. Yeah, I agree. Definitely not surprised to see Alex Wobie and those who have listened to the show will know. And we'll, we'll I won't try to... Uh, take the wind out of your sails, Ryan, because I know that's your guy, but he has been one that we've talked about extensively on the show and one that I think doesn't really get the credit he deserves for you know, what he's capable of. Fair enough that he hasn't performed yet in a blue shirt the way he's capable of, but I was happy to see him finally get an opportunity. I was a little surprised to see Delph just for the fact that he's been hurt for like 90% of the time he's been in a blue shirt. So uh, good to see him retain fitness enough to finally work his way back into the lineup. I thought he, again, he's another player that adds depth in that deep line midfield area. Like you said, Ryan, he, uh, he doesn't do a whole lot and we can talk about his contributions as we move through, but Bernard really happy to see him play again. And Kunku, I mean, he's the, he kind of stole the show today a little bit. Again, everyone, this, this player, our first signing of the summer no one really kind of an unknown commodity and comes in and just lights the place up, makes uh, making Luca Dean maybe start to get a little bit nervous. John Joe Kenny, uh, un- unsurprising to see him return. So I was surprised not to see, I guess, 10 changes, but the six he made, I think, made a lot of sense and a little disappointing. And I think Moise Keane showed a little frustration even when he came on late on. Uh, surprised to see Calvert-Lewin start up front because I think we've all been hoping to see Keane get some significant game time. Well said. And, you know, to approach this from a managerial perspective, right, because when the lineup came out, I wasn't I wasn't afraid because I I thought like maybe we were facing a tougher opposition. And, you know, what is this kind of shaken up lineup and Dean at center back, although I know he can play there. But it's interesting to think, you know, the question mark, like, is Yerry Mina hurt? Right. Like, as you said, Ryan, he was a question mark at the beginning of the season. I understand we only have two center backs, but but to come out with only one center back in the 18 in a cup match in like the second week of the season is kind of alarming to me. However, then you look at the differences between 
kind of maybe why Moise Keen didn't start and maybe why Anthony Gordon didn't start, right? Richarlison obviously kind of answered the question right there, right? Because I think Gordon would have played on the left-hand side where Richarlison did. Um, but, you know, Keen, on the other hand, didn't get the start. I thought it, it was probably justified because he stunk the place up last week, in my opinion. And, and I think that's, that's kind of an example of the man management that we need because if, if you're not producing, even in the second week of the season, a guy that's not really gotten a whole lot of time over the last year or so, you still have to be, you still have to be dropped, right? I think that's fair to say. And then on the flip side, the story comes out today that Anthony Gordon even went into Carlo Ancelotti's office, knocked on his door after last weekend not being involved in the 18, which we were surprised about, and asked what he's got to do. What's wrong? Why am I not in the 18? What do I need to do to be there each week? So that's an exciting thing to look forward to, even though, again, like, like we said, it was surprising he didn't start. It's, it's really good to see players that, that and I, I mentioned this earlier, like have that hunger to be in the starting 11. And now that we have this intense competition at multiple positions, uh, it's, it's going to take a lot to, to unseat a lot of these guys that are starting week in, week out in the league. But let's pivot now and start to talk about the actual match. We've talked about the lineup. Um, I think we came out of the gates really hot. I'll throw it to Alex first. Alex, first 20 or so minutes before the first goal, what'd you make of, of how Everton performed? I thought we started to show a little bit of creativity moving forward. At that point in time, I was kind of the most interested to see how Bernard and Iwobi were going to fit into the lineup, right? Because we talked about who might be able to usurp Gomez in his role in the presumed starting 11 in the league. But I thought overall, we, we controlled the match pretty well in the first 15, 20 minutes. It was all leading up to obviously the first goal by Richarlison, which was a lovely pass by Bernard, who was kind of tucked in on the left-hand side. And he seemed to operate well that way. And I don't think it was surprising that we started it off 1-0 pretty early with a nice finish by Richarlison. Yeah, the, the setup was interesting. Uh, it looked like Bernard was operating deeper, kind of off to the left. Delph was almost in the Allen role where he was on both sides, but really playing almost as a sitting six. And, you know, carrying the ball forward a little bit as he does and kind of spraying it around. I think he was seven for nine in long balls. It was good to see that. He had a couple key switches as well at times. Um, Awobi definitely in the right, more advanced in the half space. Richarlison way up on the left. You know what I mean? Awobi kind of sitting back a little farther compared to him. And Sigurdsson <laughs> presumably in the middle somewhere. I mean, I just, guys, that's the one thing. As fluid as we looked, you know, with the movement and the quick passing and Especially Bernard seemed like kind of the trigger guy, you know what I mean? Facing yeah. a little bit of what Andre was doing, but, but Bernard is more aggressive. I mean, he was looking forward and he should be. I mean, we're playing Fleetwood for heaven's sakes. I, Sigurdsson was driving me crazy though. I mean, he just will not find the right space. And when he does, he's so hard to get a pass to because he lacks agility. His feet aren't very good. He just can't take it cleanly. Um, but other than that, I mean, the left side was dangerous. I mean, for heaven's sakes, Bernard supported them so well. Uh, and the goal, I got to give my boy Awobi some credit on that one. That first touch bring down from that ball that was in the air yeah. right to Bernard, settled it perfectly. And my goodness, what a cross. I mean, that thing was perfect. The shape was perfect. I mean, on a tee and Richarlison made no doubt and absolutely buried it with that solid follow through right in the corner where you want it to be, man. That thing was, I mean, that was really a fluid piece of movement, man. Like two or three just perfect touches. I mean, I haven't seen that you know, in terms of combination play, uh, just in terms of pure quality in a long time. And it was, it was wonder. I mean, it was deserved, man. We looked tough. We looked good and fluid. Like you said, Alex, creative, fluid, you know, it was really good to see. 
in commanding too, like we did not give Fleetwood a sniff of the ball. They didn't play very well and didn't retain the ball well at all to their credit or to our credit, I think, because we, we, anytime they had it, we really put them under pressure. But when we had the ball, we were making them run. We were doing all of those things and, and our ball movement was excellent. Um, like you mentioned, Ryan, the between Bernard and Awobi on those flanks and cutting inside. And, and I think they really, they didn't have an answer for the the dynamism in their ball movement, quick passes, uh, the creativity that we were just, it was free flowing and it was quite exciting to watch because again, we've, we've seen so much over the past few years of just stagnant, apprehensive. This was a match where you could tell we were confident. We knew that we were by far the better side and we went out with the intent to show it. They were outmatched. You could tell there were certain matchups that they could do nothing about when Richarlison got the ball left with Nkunku oh coming around him on the left. They, they were hosts. They, there was nothing they could do. I mean, they had to overplay him, so he didn't beat him wide. He just kept cutting inside. There was nothing they could do to him. Alex Awobi, even though I still think he's probably not quite fit, maybe he's a little, maybe a half step slow. You can see how he can hold the ball up effectively in the attacking zone. There were a couple of times where he just got the ball, made a little movement, you know, kind of passed the ball to himself in a space, and the guys tried to go through him, and there's just, it wasn't happening. He could have held it up there all day. I mean, when you have that on both sides and the ability to possess the ball, what do we say in the season review, right? We said, what are we bad at? We don't make a lot of passes under pressure because we cannot possess the ball very confidently and especially in attacking areas. Um, and we don't take the ball away from them. Well, guess what? If you don't lose the ball, you don't need to take it away too much. And that's what we did. We possessed it, but we possessed it higher in areas where we never really, we never were outside of the danger area much. Uh, and that's really hard for a defense to deal with, especially one that just, you know, there were just a couple matchups that they had no, the pace wide, and it got even better when Gordon came in, but we'll talk about that. The pace wide with Nkunku bombing forward. I mean, they just had no prayer and, it, and gosh darn, it was nice to be on the good end of that. Yeah. And to build on that point, right. In terms of dispossessions, when, when you're, when you're mentioning kind of retaining the ball, especially in the attacking third, right. None of our attackers were dispossessed more than once which as we know, we've seen some of these numbers in the recent past and they aren't necessarily usually as good as that. The person on the team with the most dispossessions was Gilfie Sigurdsson with only two. I say only, but as a central midfielder, that's not necessarily the best. Um, but, but I think that that's important to point out because absolutely, regardless of the opposition, that, that does show solid improvement. You can only beat, you can only perform well um, against your, your current opposition. So that was, that was nice to see. And as we move through the rest of the first half, right, it still felt like we were in control. I even saw someone tweet at halftime, a couple of pretty popular Twitter accounts and folks on Twitter tweet at halftime. Like this is the best 45 minutes of football we've had in control. Right. And in that, in that short time, right. Like about 12 minutes later, Alex Wobie had that sick back heel to Richarlison Oof. to make it nil. And at that point I legit was just thinking, Richarlison answered the question, why did Anthony Gordon not start? Because we're sitting here in the 34th minute. Richarlison kind of took the, 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 the situation by the scruff of the neck because he's the one that drove into the box um, from the wing, passed it to Awobi for that nice back heel pass in behind and just kind of strikes into the back of the net. There's nothing the keeper necessarily could do about it with the power there. And, and I think we're all feeling at halftime very, very good, very excited about moving into the second half. And we see a change at halftime for Anthony Gordon on for Dominic Cowart-Lewin. That was an interesting change, especially Dominic Cowart-Lewin coming off. Yeah, we get to see uh, we get to see Anthony Gordon come on and Richarlison then take on a central role as a striker. 
just wanted to give a quick shout out to that that back heel pass from Alex Iwobi for that second goal because that was a thing of absolute beauty. We talked about, and Ryan talks about all the time, his favorite stat, how many touches in the final third Alex Iwobi got at Arsenal versus last season at Everton. And you can just see when he gets the ball in those areas, he is unpredictable. He is incredibly dangerous. And that was a perfect moment where those two had the same exact idea at the same moment and it came off brilliantly. And to be 2-0 up, you really think that the game's pretty much gone at that point, given how dominant we were. Excuse me. And at halftime, we have Anthony Gordon come on. And he, again, looks so, so desperate to get his first goal in a blue shirt. And his pace is a problem for those for those uh, fullbacks because he just gets that big touch and he'll just try to beat guys straight up for pace, which isn't something you see very often and probably something that that is less common in the Premier League when we're facing better opposition. But his acceleration and his, his quick movement is, as such a young player, is very, very exciting. And we're in control. Then we come in at halftime and everything's fine. And then... um. Jordan Pickford decided to um, just do some schoolboy thing, and it was 2-1. I mean, I, I just shook my head at that point, guys. I was thinking, that, what on God's earth is he doing? I didn't think that much of it because I thought, well, we're not going to be. That's kind of the nice part about this year. I thought, all right, that's an isolated incident. No big deal. And then what happened? Bang. You know, Anthony again used his pace. Broke out. Alex did a very nice job of Wobie cutting on the inside and absolutely, you know, and buried one because the goalie was absolutely hosed. And Alex Wobie's not the most clinical finisher, but that one, I mean, the keeper had no no prayer on anyway. You know, he hit it with power right down the middle, it went in. So it was a nice relief. It was like, okay, three one, we can we can look past Jordan Pickford's stupid little mistake, no big deal. And then ten minutes later, what happened? I mean, I, I just. That was madness. You know, I, as critical as I am of Gilfie's performance tonight, you know, part of that is maybe a little bit tactical, I guess. And it didn't really matter because just like Don, Don Calvert-Lewin didn't do a ton either, but no. you know, he made enough runs and, and created space for other people. You know what I mean? That's fine. He occupied two center backs for the most, most of the game. And, and that makes a big difference, right? But you, I mean, you had one job, man. You had one job. I mean, I, I don't, I, Someone else take it. I don't even want to describe the second goal he gave up. It was just absolutely so putrid. Well, it's a bicycle kick. It's a bicycle kick, but it's, and it is, the striker does well to get a foot on it, but it is literally directly at his hands. It's directly and tracing at And the cross, like, what are you doing? Right. Do you not see, I, I understand it's a little it's like the raining out there. Box. I know. And the cross goes way over you and you come all the way out, almost out of the six to do what exactly are you doing? Either go get the ball or not. Or sit in goal. Like, what are you doing? And then the cross back in for the bike. If he was in decent position there, he probably could have just jumped out and punched it out if he wanted to. But I don't even know what that attempt was to saving it. Like, what What the heck was that? It was schoolboy stuff, man. It was absolutely re- I don't know if, you know, he always played better at Sunderland, people thought, because he was constantly getting shelled. And you got to wonder if the guy has the mental acuity and concentration to deal with the team like this and uh he's a big problem and he and he has been good so far at least i thought the first match in tottenham i thought he was excellent he was yeah no question you know he seemed commanding at least somewhat um and today that now i mean everyone's out there doubting him and i don't blame people for doing so because every keeper makes mistakes but he didn't perform well i mean consistently across the board so every time now he does that and Everton, I don't think is quite in the financial position to go out and just grab a, you know, a, a stud keeper. 
And even if they did, what do you do with Pickford? People don't believe me when I say no one's going to want him. You get to hear this, oh, it's England's number one, England's number one. Look, man, he's on 120, he's on over 100 a week. And so there aren't, there aren't, there aren't too many teams that can actually use someone or pay someone, and he's not old. So, and I wouldn't think a foreign team would want him because, you know, his advantage is being homegrown, being English. So that kind of limits it. And Chelsea needs a keeper and guess who they're getting? Mendy. They're not getting Jordan Pickford. So, so he's going to have to improve. Have to. What I will say about the, the bike, and I'm not trying to defend him because it's an absolute no brainer save that he should make, but it is. And, and actually even more so, as you said, Ryan, he should be coming out and, and trying to get that, but he doesn't position himself well enough. It is like a point blank bicycle kick. And I do think that it's not often that you see one hit like dead on directly right angle directly at you. And you think there's, there's, if that goes either side, like that's a definite goal and that's, that's well taken. So maybe he's trying to anticipate it not being hit cleanly. Again, I'm not, I'm not saying that he should have saved it, but at that closer range with such an unpredictable attempt of a strike, it can be a little bit difficult to read, but at the Premier League level, at the level we need him to be, he was far from that on the save. I mean, the kick, the, the first goal is the bigger mistake, I think. But um, and I cannot believe people are blaming Keen. For, I mean, come on, guys, for heaven's sakes, it's Pickford's decision whether he wants to hit it first time or take that dribble. Uh, yeah, no, no, it's just God. It's not, I mean, it didn't cost us. Right. So I guess if you're going to have one moment, maybe of a learning moment, he's still still kind of a young keeper. And, and the only good thing about it that I saw was his reaction was not one where he's sticking his tongue out and acting like a right. two year old. And, and to me, that says he knows this is serious now because. Lossel, even Lossel, who maybe isn't some great player or anything, could replace him too. Carlo's not going to put up with that garbage. You could see, you know, you made a great point earlier. There's competition out there now. You can see guys putting in a shift. Even Gilfie is going in hard on some tackles sometimes, which for him never happens. You can see there's a difference now in this team in terms of the level of competition. These cup matches are auditions. And he knows it. And he knows it. No matter who's behind him, even if someone good. And so think about this. Say we do get someone. That's credible. You know, maybe someone older that's more experienced that we get on loan. I mean, I'm sorry, man. You're, it's it's not going to happen for you if you keep doing this stuff. So let's hopefully move on. Hopefully he shows up this weekend. But man, that was not a good performance. Right. And, and then on the exact opposite end of the spectrum, right? Well, a couple minutes after we concede that, right? It goes 2-3. We then sub on Tom Davies for Fabian Delph. Ryan, I understand you're probably not a huge fan of that thought process, if if you can follow the thought process. Yeah, yeah, that didn't. I mean, look, I know we're limited, and he clearly didn't want to play DeCorey, and I'm assuming he's he's just assuming that we're going to control this darn thing with the ball. And, and they, But they were a little bit more of a threat in the second half. Why? They started playing hoofball off the left side and picking on John Joe Kenny because he's not the greatest in the air. I knew that would come, and, and it's going to happen a lot this year, so we need to be prepared to deal with it. Um, but look, yeah, I, didn't, I, I understand subbing out Delph, right? He hasn't played that much. I'm sure he's not fully fit. And we are going to need him as much as a lot of people don't like him. But yeah, I mean, geez, that just seemed like a risk to me. You know, Tom is just not a responsible defensive player. So who are you relying on to defend now in the middle of the pitch? Gilfie Sigurdsson, Tom Davies. And we saw this all the second half of last year because people were hurt. So no, I didn't like the sub. I figured it could go one of two ways. One, that they would actually start to possess the ball a little bit and, and take advantage of our poor positional aptitude, or we just sit on the ball, 
calm down, relax, attack, score a couple more goals and put this thing away. And thankfully, um, you know, Bernard came out pretty soon after that and um, scored an absolute, I mean, you want to talk about technique. I mean, just whap. I mean, he caught that thing absolutely beautifully. I mean, that was a, it's so nice to watch a match where you have a handful of wow moments. Like there were several times tonight where I was just like, Oh man. And I, I, I miss that. You know, I remember saying that a lot, you know, back in the day, some of the fluid moments we had. And um, it's nice to see a team that's mostly backups today perform like that. But I mean, you guys, how sweet was that shot? And in the pouring rain too, you have to think, I mean, that that's all the more difficult to hit it. That oh, absolutely. Cleanly. Like that is a, a very well taken goal by Bernard and, and deservedly, you know, he did deserve a goal for the shift he put in. Inter- interestingly enough, he also had, I think, the tied for the most tackles on our team with John Joe Kenny with three. So put in a uh, shift on the defensive side of the ball as well. But what, what I really took from that Bernard goal as like a, a meta conversation about the team is that we didn't fold, right? You think about Millwall a couple years ago how we capitulated there. Um, This team for so long, if we let teams back in the game, you just feel that the everything just, we collapse, we, we fold within ourselves and, and just are unable to put the game to bed. And then the other team has one or two opportunities. They take them. I could have, and I, and I have not felt that way this season, fortunately, but at two, three, you know, that we've been conditioned to think that we're going to blow the lead. And so those thoughts do start to creep back in your head. And Bernard hits that wonderful strike. And you have to think the game's gone at that point. Like we've definitely won. Um, and that was so reassuring to me. And just the overall mentality shift, again, bar that first 20 minutes of the second half, we were dominant for the entire thing. And so that that was just, it's good to see that the the tide finally seems to be turning in the right direction. What do you think that mentality is attributed to? Because it is, it seems obviously different. You know, those guys are all business a bit tonight. I don't know. I'm curious what you guys think it is. Well, pers- I think part of it is, to be quite honest, the absence of fans. Because I think, obviously, when we're at home and we're playing well, Goodison, the Goodison crowd is is our greatest asset. But on the same in the same vein, they can also be our our not our greatest enemy, but the groans and the not booze, but the frustration from the fans, I think does have an impact on the players where they start to feel the nervousness creep into the fans. And then maybe that seeps into them on the field. And we start to see again, trying to play it a little too safe to the point where you're actually being, you know, you're, you're withdrawing from the match. So, and I saw this actually a couple of shots on Twitter for it as well. Do the players feel uh, a weight off their shoulders without the fans in certain situations. Again, I won't say obviously football is nothing without fans and, and it's much, it's much better when there's an atmosphere in the stadium, but when there's no one really watching, I think, I think that does take a little bit of the pressure off of players. That's fair. And I think long-term it's really just the fact that any sports team period that is not a consistent challenge or a champion, depending on what kind of sport and league you're talking about, it is always working on building a winning culture. With that comes confidence. With that comes the experience. I think this is the biggest part, to be honest, is the experience and understanding how to grind out a win, even if it's sloppy, and having the self-confidence in yourself, knowing that you can indeed go out and perform 
regardless of the opposition. And that's something that James Rodriguez, I think, is obviously a very easy example to show that 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 might be where the tides turn. Because if you walk, if if you watched how the boys walked out of the tunnel against Tottenham the first day, it looked like we were pretty fearless. Like we felt like we were coming out, and this was our match. And I think players, winners like James Rodriguez, like Carlo Ancelotti, are coming to help kind of bring that winning mentality. Um, but but it's been a problem for a long time, and I think until you start becoming serial winners to an extent, whatever that means to you, then it, then it's always going to be a problem because that's sports. There's definitely a positive vibe from the players they brought in. I, I think a lot of this is Carlo though, but you know, also never underestimate the fact that you've got a coach that seems to be putting players into positions that they can succeed in, or at least has convinced them of that. You know, um, Marco was, Marco Silva was so rigid today. At one point I saw where, um, I think it was Bernard ended up drifting all the way over to the right on some kind of play, whatnot, and was, you know, clearly had the freedom to do that. And they had a great combination and, and went at it and produced something. I can't remember what it was. And I just kept thinking, oh my God, I mean, Marco Silva would have had a heart attack if he just saw his left sided player go across midfield. You know, it was just such a rigid way to play. I think that's I think that's part of it, but I, I think in designing some of these roles for people, maybe we maybe didn't even realize, you know, that the guys could be successful in them because some of these guys are playing a little differently. But I think that's I think that's part of it. But I do think it's a lot of it's just Carlo. You know, I mean, you see a club that has made a commitment to a world class manager. You've brought in a world class talent like Hamas. I mean, and they've played well. Obviously, they've won a couple times, so they've built up some confidence. And even these guys, even though they weren't playing that much, I just think even if the crowd was there, I, I would be surprised to think the crowd would be like, oh, here we go again. I, I mean, maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit. But you know what I mean? I just feel like there's – it's not positivity. It's just confidence. I, I think Carlo is part of that, and the people that he brought in who already have bought into him and are here because of him, I think all that kind of works together. And that's a totally valid point. And, and there's no, no doubt about it. Carlo Ancelotti has made an, an immense difference to the culture and, and the confidence of the players. And they've, they've said as much in a lot of interviews where they talk about, you know, he really is a great man manager. He, he believes in the players. He knows how to, and, we, and we've talked about it too. In his managerial history, he has set a precedent where he knows how to put his players in the position to be successful. And I also think the fact that now we've won four in a row, that is the foundation that you can build on. And those players will now know, okay, well, if we concede one, there's no reason we can't go and just get one back on the other end. And the repetition of that, and the more times you repeat that, it builds and it compounds and it grows exponentially. Um, I'd be remiss right now if I didn't draw an analogy uh, to the other side of the pond, because I am, and, and Alex and Ryan are both Steelers fans, but I am a Patriots fan. And they're going to roll their eyes right now. But that was a culture that was built on winning. And in any time that you were losing, no matter how late it was, you always felt like you had the ability to come back and, and win. And I think that is the type of attitude that, that Carlos really done a good job of. Again, hasn't been totally built yet, but laid the foundation that we can then throughout the season continue to, to improve. Ryan, I think he's the non-important one now. <laughs> I threw up in my mouth a little bit. I'm not gonna, not gonna lie to you when he said that. Uh, he thought we'd only roll our eyes, but but that's not that's. Not I knew you guys it. would hate that. I, I mean, yeah, look, I, I hey, I've been to playoff games in in Heights Field where we lost, so um, only to find out later the Patriots cheated. But that's another. Oh, anyway, here we go. Uh, 
They, I just, it's true. Anyway, um, no, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I mean, it, it is nice to have that winning mentality. Um, but it did kind of make like the rest of the match a little bit more, I don't know, routine. I mean, we didn't seem like we were really pressing too aggressively. Um, but it was also nice to see our boy, uh, in Kunku kind of finally get, you know, something formally productive, you know, out of his efforts because he was really, pretty dangerous tonight and it was also nice to see moise keen get in there and bag one that was i know i, I feel like some people were making a, a deal of him seemingly unhappy when yeah. he scores i don't know what you guys think about that i mean to me i'm just trying to put myself in the situation you know we, we've all played sports and stuff i mean if you're burying some team that you know you're a lot better than like what what did you think he was gonna do like do the woe and do his yeah. whole dance thing i i i <laughs> No, no one's, no one was smiling. Someone said they were smiling. I don't know if they're smiling. Everyone's just kind of, yeah, high five business usual. We're done. Game's over. So I, I don't know. I feel like people are making a bigger deal. I mean, I'm sure there will be some sensationalist article like the Gordon article today about him demanding to know why he didn't play. No, yeah. no that's not what happened. I mean, demanding, Paul George demanding like this work. Yeah. Hey, Gaffer, why didn't I play? Can just wanted some feedback. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's it. Okay, cool. No, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was just, it was a pretty standard way to grind out the win kind of that we're talking about, right? Except for ideally you want to see that at 2-0 and not necessarily at 4-2, uh, <laughs> yeah, for example. Right. But I think it, I mean, it was positive for Nkunku because, you know, we, we only briefly touched on him, maybe James specifically talking about how he was bursting up the line and provided a real positive attack. I mean, he had three key passes alone. So it was solid that he did cap it off his performance as well with an assist to Moise Keane. And I want to say the official Everton man of the match in the last two cup matches is Nkunku. So I, I want people to slow the roll on him a little bit. Yeah, though. me too. Um, I, I mean, he so when we watched him before and we talked about him a lot on the podcast, at least what I saw, I mean, he was only playing in the fourth division of France. So when you hear like OM's B team, that's the fourth division. And so he was physically dominant, even at his age then. And you could see that on the pitch, right? He can fly. He's big, strong. Um, he was always great at going forward. He was almost too aggressive going forward. He would push passes and be too direct and, and they'd lose the ball as a team. So he's played two matches in a, in, in where we were clearly the better side. The very first touch he took today, he tried to push forward a pass and, and he lost it, which is interesting because that I had saw, seen that on film. But to his credit, I haven't seen that. I've seen pretty good decision-making with the ball, and, and the motor is there. I mean, he, he is always front foot when you watch him. I felt like he led his league in forward passes by like a mile at his position, like just constantly going forward. Um, you did see one moment I remember where he got caught out in space and got played behind. So his issues are on the defensive end, learning positional discipline, um, how to play within a team construct. And th those things are going to take time. So people got to understand that he's in essence playing half the game right now, which we're all excited about. I'm totally stoked. We, we, th I thought he was talented and thought it was a great signing and still do. I think most do, but he's not pushing Luca Dean really. I mean, I know, I know we can crack that and stuff like that, but you know, let's give him a little bit of time here. He's still 19. Um, we haven't even seen him have to mark up and defend on someone really yet. So, um, so early signs are very encouraging. Uh, we should be very excited about him, but come on, man. He's 19. He's played two cup matches. He hasn't even played in the Premier League coming from the fourth division. In the same way as it's like JB, too, you know, coming from Carlisle. Relax, guys. I mean, he played some good games down the stretch for us at the end of the year in the Premier League, but he was sitting back. You know what I mean? He, right. he was 
camped deep and and Michael Keane looked really good in those roles too. So it cut him a, you know, let's cool the engines a little bit on him, but but we should be excited about his performance. I don't mean to not be enthusiastic, but let's not annoy him, you know, the greatest left back in the history of the world yet. Right. Let's just temper expectations and make sure that he has a platform that he can he can succeed within. If we set the expectations at this kid's world class after two matches against a league two and a league one side, I mean, you're only setting yourself up to be disappointed when he has an uh, the inevitable off game or two. And so it's, it he does look good, though. That back. Heel, <laughs> I mean, that back. Heel, come on. I mean, that's unbelievable. That, that's cool. I know it's great. He's got the pace. He clearly has the physical traits, but I think, you know, the the football IQ side of it is going to take time to develop, especially to be able to read the game at the speed that it that it occurs at, at the Premier League level. So no question. People will say we people may say we're knocking him. I don't think that's the case. I think we're all really, no. I think, clearly a bargain for the price that we paid um, and, and a one for the future. And maybe he can still continue to feature in our in our cup run as we continue. We've got West Ham next week. Um, but I did want to circle back on the Keen stuff. To your point, Ryan, like you're scoring the fifth goal in a essential blowout at that point. You're not going to be too excited. And I think people look at Moise Keen and he came in with all this fanfare and you can draw the parallels to Nkuku in the sense that we all had really high expectations and he hasn't quite met them yet. Um, and I think in the absence of of a really strong, consistent performance level, you inevitably, and there's not really a great explanation for it, people chalk it up to attitude. The same thing that we did with Adamola Lookman. Maybe those things are are legit in, in regard to Lookman, but I don't think that there's anything we've seen yet to indicate that, that Moise Keen is a bad apple in any sense of the word. I don't think so either. I mean, I think I think part of it's just uh, he's essentially a, a teenager growing up, pretty famous, starring on a, on a you know, well, well, he was not banging in goals for Juventus, right? So, I mean, showing up to a meeting, uh, a couple meetings late, right? I did that at 19, 20 years old. I do it sometimes now. Uh, not that I'm that much older, gentlemen. I, I heard that snicker. <laughs> mm. um, but nonetheless, okay, so gentlemen, let's wrap up the match before we go into the the, the couple bits of team news. Who is your preferred man of the match um, very quickly? Ryan, go first, because I'm going to steal yours if you don't. You know who I'm going to pick. I got to go with my boy, Alex Awobi. Um, I, I think Bernard and, and Kunku are candidates. If Richarlison played the whole match, maybe. But so here's my logic. First of all, he he was involved in all four of uh, the first four goals. You know, whether it was that little soft touch to Bernard to set up the cross. Obviously, he had an assist and a goal. Um, he also played Gordon in on the ball that he kind of sent across, you know, over to uh, Bernard. So. And you could tell, I mean, he didn't have the support on the right that maybe they had on the left. He had four dribbles today, which is, you know, twice as many as anyone else. Um, It just seemed like the player I remember seeing, although it was strange to see him on the right. Normally, he's a little more front foot, but he showed everything today. He was constantly dangerous. He was holding the ball up in higher level positions. Uh, Frankly, I was a little disappointed with John Joe early in the match. He just seemed like a step slow. I mean, did you want to get up the pitch or not? And and maybe Alex could have made some better balls to kind of spring him, but I don't think they were that bad. So I I would love to see what that looks like with someone like James in the middle because Gilfew is kind of absent and a real athlete bombing on the right side against a team that tries to pack it in against us. Good luck. You know what I mean? I think that would be really, really interesting to see. So He's my guy. I mean, I think he had five shots. Um, should have probably scored a second. But what I what I was encouraged is he got in dangerous areas. He was dangerous the entire match. 
And uh, so, and obviously he's Alex Awobi. So uh, if he plays a great match, of course, I got to, I got to, I got to tout how good he was. Right. I mean, that's, everyone thinks he's my favorite player. He's not, I don't even have his Jersey. So that's the funniest part of yet, that. but no, I, I thought he earned it today yet. <laughs> yeah. For me, it's going to be Bernard. I think those are the, again, uh, we'll see who Alex chooses, but I thought Bernard was incredibly influential. His ability to step into the middle, facilitate to the weight of the pass, the the shift he put in on the defensive side of the ball. I think a lot of yeah. times you, you do kind of overlook that because he's so little, but he's not afraid to be disruptive. He's not going to body people or bully anyone, but he can be a nuisance and he can pester people. He, he's quick feet. Um, and and I, I'm really encouraged by his last couple of performances because I think he really couldn't hit the ground running last year. He struggled to build up momentum with consistent game time. I still think he can be a, a strong performer for us coming off the bench. I think he has a lot of utility, even uh, even starting with the players that we now can place around him to unlock his his true potential. Um, he just has a way of finding those clever little spaces. And what really encouraged me the most today was how aggressive he looked when he was around goal, because I think one of the biggest criticisms of him since he's come in is that he never really looks to shoot. And the last couple of games, we've definitely seen uh, that change for the better. And I'm very encouraged to see what, what's to come from Bernard for the rest of the year. I suppose James gets the last laugh because although he did not steal yours, Ryan, he stole mine. <laughs> although on <laughs> merit, I'd like to give a slightly different reason. Um, I'd, I'd go with Bernard. I really liked your point, James, about the defensive, um, the defensive ability that he showed today with three tackles. And kind of in the same thought process, right? This is a different role that we than we've seen Bernard play primarily at Everton. Obviously, a lot of his most of his appearances were under Marco Silva, so so it's a different story. But seeing him played more centrally, like a lot of fans have talked about, um, and, and see him do it so well, capped off with a goal and assist, is impressive. It was a nice shot. Um, I, I think it's it's promising to see maybe how we could see him uh, employed in the Premier League, and it's promising for the squad too because he's someone that I think. Myself and a lot of people have been kind of criti- uh, critical about seeing as how he's he's a big earner and he hasn't necessarily put out, you know, the numbers, goals, assists, et cetera, that, that we would expect for someone earning so much in our squad. So Bernard is my man of the match for those reasons as well. So let's transition real quick to team news since the last time we recorded. First up, Lewis Gibson, a, a young center back, joins Reading on loan. It also came out, Carlo did say to the press in, in some form or fashion that we are in the market for a center back. I think that was common knowledge for most people, but that almost confirms it. If the, the, the squad of only Michael Keane today wasn't already, you know, pointing to that direction. Yeah. I'll I'll jump in here. The only concern I have with that is that. So Gibson's a left-sided center back, right? Reading's best player debatably in their captain, Liam Moore is a left-sided center back. So that's the only one I find very curious. Now I'm not saying he won't start next to him. I'm just Curious if he then I guess Gibson would play the right side. They're starting Michael Morris in there now, and Michael's like 32, and I, I don't know too much about him, but I don't think he's all that stellar. So I, I think certainly Lewis has a chance to break through and start, and I think it's a decent side. But that's that's my only concern. You know, if you're prepping someone ultimately to play center back in the Premier League at some point, and I, I actually have some doubts on on Gibson a little bit. I, I like his composure, but he certainly has a chance. I kind of like him to be slotted in left left center back, but beggars can't be choosers. You know, I mean, he's not played at that level yet. So if he gets a chance to break through the starting lineup, I mean, at least that's a decent guy to learn next to. And I think they're a decent side as well, too. So you're not going to sit there and have to pack it in, you know, every week, uh, which which is nice. Um, 
So, yeah, I think it's a positive thing. But, yeah, we've definitely got to be in the market at center back. We've heard a bunch of names, too. I don't know if I'm going to go through those or not. But, um, yeah, that'll be interesting. We're definitely going to come up with someone. Yeah, Redding top of the table after two matches in the championship. So uh, he's clearly going to to a capable side. And it will it remains to be seen how much game time he'll get. I, I wonder if there's been any kind of stipulation as to number of matches he's required to play or something like that. I think we had uh, a similar clause with Joe Virginia when he went uh, last year, which obviously didn't end up working out. But as you said, Ryan, he's got experience around him. Hopefully he can kick on and develop whether he'll actually end up as a eventual starter or in the squad for Everton remains to be seen, but this is at least a platform for him to demonstrate whether there's a chance of that. It's also their head coach is a former Chicago fire. Head yes. Coach, which is kind of funny. Um, and I think he played the MLS for a little bit, didn't he? I feel like he suited up for Philly. Yes, for, he did. For, the uh, union. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that pretty interesting? So um, I, that's just the American toffee podcast link right there. There you, know, you go. Got to bring out any, any American reference we can come up with, I guess. Right. Something like that. And so, Ryan, next piece, you kind of touched on this earlier, but Chow Virginia, the young goalkeeper, signed a new four-year contract extending through June 2024, to, or excuse me, this week. Now, what do you guys think about that situation? You kind of alluded to the fact that maybe he's going out on loan. It seems like based on the squad selection, right, with, with Jordan Pickford and Lossell in the 18 today, that maybe that is very much true and they're tying him down to the contract as you know, an asset for the club. I think that's a logical conclusion. I mean, I, I thought either that he was going to get sold. I had this feeling like he was kind of Marco's guy, you know what mm. I mean? Maybe it was the Portuguese contact and I, I don't know. It just kind of seemed like that to me. So I was a little bit surprised at the, the, the signing, but you got to do something with him. And I, I think everyone was disappointed in the way he started out at Reading. You got to figure though, four years. I and mean, what are you going to do? Is he going to sit there as being backup? He's a young guy. I think they got to be finding the loan for him. I mean, what do you think, Hamas? Yeah, he has to play. You have to play at that age. There's, I think he still has a lot of potential. Obviously, when we signed him from Arsenal, he was very, very highly rated. And you have to play at that age. He's not, although he did, of course, play last week in the Cup, it's not going to be a situation where he'll get, I think, anywhere near the backup spot over, over Lossel throughout the course of the year. So you've got to get him out to a side where he'll actually play. And I think a fresh start for him, obviously, things with, with Reading went, about as bad as they can possibly go last year. So um, whether he ends up in League One, um, the championship, what have you, I think he's a player where we can probably turn a profit on him if he even puts in you know, a halfway decent season. And I think this is probably just protecting his, his long-term value rather than maybe looking for him as, as the, the heir to the throne of Jordan Pickford, <laughs> which is weird to say. <laughs> yeah, what throne more, is that? Uh, it's more like just a crappy wood chair, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that old piece of furniture that you keep rotating out of exactly. places in your house, and really needs you know, to be upholstered. So upholstered. Oh, yeah, let's hope it does somehow make some sort of miraculous recovery, please. And then, lastly, I woke up to a video today, which I legitimately thought was fake, based <laughs> on the first probably twenty seconds or so. It was weird. But the Everton marketing team somehow. Got Neymar in his PSG attire to present Richarlison with a mini Dixie Dean uh, award for player of the season. That was super interesting to see, kind of exciting on the on the back of the James Rodriguez push. Maybe not necessarily surprising, but it's good to see that Everton and, and the marketing team are, are working hard nowadays to continue to spread the brand. And, and it's always nice to see Neymar talking about Everton, right? Yeah, building that Brazilian connection. 
right? We've got Allen now, we've got Bernard, we've got Richarlison, uh, and now we have the most famous player in Brazil presenting. I don't know where Richarlison ranks on famous Brazilian players, but he's in the top 10 probably presenting him with an award. It's a little weird. It doesn't make a whole lot of like, I guess, sense, but in the same way, it, it makes does. no sense. It's just straight. I mean, it's cool, right? I mean, Hey, it's Neymar. Everyone knows Neymar. You know, it's nice that we're part of the general big club environment now, yeah. I guess, or some sort. It, it is. It's, it's weird. like, how did that interaction weird. go? Did we just <laughs> have Richard? I don't want to hear it. It, I, it did what it was supposed to do. It I, created buzz. We're talking about it here on the American Toffee Podcast. Obviously, it's important. Is that the first time a player from another club has presented another player with an award <laughs> of any kind? Like, I think we're breaking ground here. You think Neymar knows who Dixie Dean was? God. He said, hey, William Randolph Dean. I mean, other than the fact that he scored more in a season than Neymar ever has, <laughs> I can tell you that. And probably dove a lot less. I would bet that he hasn't. I'm putting a, a decent <laughs> amount of money on it. I mean, it was it was strange, but it was nice. So, and it seems like Neymar and Richarlison uh, get along. So that's, I guess, a good thing. Uh, now, if they would have announced Neymar after exactly, that, to, then I would have been okay with it. That would have been fine. I had a question to sell off, sell on value still though. <laughs> <laughs> no, I win. That was a joke. That was a joke. Ryan. Don't tweet at me. Don't. Everyone tweet Ryan. <laughs> Don't do it. It's a joke. It was a joke. We couldn't afford him anyway. <clears throat> Well, I think that'll do it for us, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in. As usual, look out for our match review episode as Everton face Crystal Palace this Saturday. And until next time, up the toffees. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Come join our Discord community at invite.gg ATP and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at USA Toffee Pod.